You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last time, we hope. We have one guest on this program, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, the Dolphins, TJ Watts. Lions win! Lions win! Yes! Woohoo! So uh, let's go right to our guest. Let's just, just bring our guest right in here. He's the ESPN NFL Nation Titans reporter, author, journalist, and bowtie aficionado. Welcome back to Pros Like Us, Teron Davenport. How you doing, Teron? Hey, I'm doing really well. Appreciate you guys having me on. It's been a while, so let's do it. Yeah, which color is the bow tie today? Today, you know, I'm just on the thermal side of things, man. Nowhere special to go. So I'll have the bow tie on uh, on Sunday. Believe that. All right. Well, I did want to ask you because it just every time I see that word just reminds me of the Outcast song, bow tie. Do you remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I tell you, there's another Outcast song that, you know, I think of when I get dressed, man. It's called So Fresh and So Clean. There you go. All right. Do you know how good it feels to be me right now? That's the one that keeps going through my head and wondering where things went wrong. But uh, anyway, yeah, outcast bow tie. If you haven't listened to it, kids, go find it. It's on the internet. Yeah, that was a good plug. Go on YouTube. Teron, what's going on, man? What's up, man? How you been? It's been a while. Good to get to chat it up with you we want to find out what's the latest on uh, julio jones is he ready to return is he going to suit up against the jags it's very possible i think when you look at that julio jones situation they tried to kind of bring it along gradually treat it with kids gloves and it's just when he made that plant and he went to drive towards the sideline on that practice a few weeks ago, I had the video. That's when something really happened. And you could tell because you could hear him uh, utter the curse word. And he went over to the trainer and they looked at him and he was done for that day. I think what they wanted to do was just let that thing sit all together. And that's pretty much what you have to do with a hamstring if you want to fully get that thing to recover. And that's exactly what they did. So I, I would expect to see him. I'm not sure about this week, but the following week, I'm almost certain that it'll play. Is Julio ever going to be 100% to run? I mean, obviously, injuries have followed him around, and he just can't seem to get over the hump, and he's not 25 any longer. What are you thinking? Yeah, I don't think he's ever going to be 100% again, but the, the good thing for those who you know have a vested stake in the Titans is 85 to 90% of Julio Jones is better than most of the other players in the league. So there's still an opportunity to get a, a playmaker. You know what I mean? I think that's a really good thing for the Titans because they desperately need that going down the stretch with uh, Derrick Henry not being around and A.J. Brown still on the men. Well, like you said, Derrick Henry's gone for the regular season at least. So heart and soul of the team. They bring in Adrian Peterson, hopefully for like a jolt of some – veteran leadership, maybe get some reps in the backfield, but then they release him, and it seemed almost unceremoniously, like it just came out of the blue. Was it out of the blue? What What did you make of the whole situation? You know, that one, 
it just never clicked, right? And and they liked what they saw out of uh, Dontrell Hilliard and and Deontay Foreman. I'll be honest with you, those guys ran better the the whole time that that Peterson was there. He did have one run where it seemed like you know he was gonna break it, but then he fumbled. And it was blocked up really well, and, and that was the last game for Peterson. So it was one of those things where they just say, okay, we'll kick the tires. You know, like we lost one alien in uh, Derrick Henry, and we'll, we'll bring in another alien and see if he's still the same. And obviously he wasn't, but he wasn't even, you know, a fraction of, of his former self. So at the end of the day, they felt they could get multiple carries out of uh, Hilliard and, and Foreman, and then, you look and saw what happened against the Texans. They rushed for over 100 yards, but then the Patriots, you know, they broke out for 270, and both of those guys had 100 yards plus. So, I mean, we talked to you in the offseason. We're, what, 12 games in for the Titans coming off a bye. What's been the biggest surprise to you so far this season? Biggest surprises from a Titans perspective or just overall? Titans first and then the league in general. How about that? You know, the biggest surprise for me is the amount of turnovers that Ryan Tannehill has uh, been, uh, you know, responsible for. Now, I'll say this, at least five of his interceptions that weren't his fault, but I just didn't expect to see the regression as a passer, whereas the accuracy issues are there. And it's not just an interception. So it, it's shown at times where, Normally, he protects his receiver. You know, he's running a crossing route, and he'll throw it to the receiver's backside shoulder so that way he could turn away from the hit that's coming, you know, something like that. Whereas now, you know, I've seen him lead Chester Rogers into harm's way, and uh, there have been some issues with accuracy on his interception. So I would say the biggest surprise for me is Ryan Tannehill. Now, I knew at some point he wasn't going to be the level of passer that he was over the last two years but I didn't think it would be that much of a regression. Uh, we'll just have to see how that continues to, to progress. Now, as far as the surprise for me, I would say just how complete of a team the Arizona Cardinals are, have been. And I, I think when you look at them defensively, they're solid, right? Even after losing J.J. Watt and, and the offense, you know, James Conner has come in and brought a level of physicality to that offense to go along with that finesse, you know, that passing game that they have. So that would be uh, my surprise uh, over all across the league. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Which Titans player has been the biggest disappointment so far, besides Tannehill? You know, it, it's tough for me to say it because as a dude, I care about him and really like him, but I, I'm objective. It's A.J. Brown. I mean, I really was expecting this to be a year for A.J. Brown to elevate himself into that top five receiver category. You know, I already had a in the top 10, but I thought top five, but health has really uh, caused some issues with him. And obviously he's had some other, you know, issues that he kind of worked through over the past year. And then there have been, a, you know, some drops and some things like that. But I, I thought that he would be the playmaker that would really lead this passing game, especially with Julio Jones coming aboard and or more one-on-one -on -one coverage, you, you know, that he was going to get because of Julio Jones. It just hasn't come together. So I'll say A.J. Brown. Has the Bud Dupree signing been a complete disaster for this team? No, not at all. It's a disaster to those who may not watch the games. Case in point, right? The Rams game and the Saints game, 
they had plenty of sacks. I would say I think it was like seven or eight in those two games. Bud Dupree was playing. In the games where Bud Dupree didn't play, guess what they didn't have? They didn't sacks. have the sacks. They had maybe two. They had maybe two. And really what it is is just what he brings to the table, just as far as the stunts and the games and twists and things that they do up front, it's a lot better when he's the guy, like the trigger man, like he's slashing somebody's looping around him or vice versa. He has a way of making other players better. It doesn't always show up in the box score. I mean, look at last year with the, the Steelers, right? Uh, their pass rush and, and, and just their defense itself just kind of tailed off once Dupree ended up getting hurt. And his value is definitely there. Um, I think that was a good signing even still, uh, although it's not double-digit sacks this year. But you look at Harold Landry's having a career year. Jeffrey Simmons is having a career year. Denigo Autry came in and helped too. So those uh, doubling up, it just brought a different level of toughness and physicality to the defense. Speaking of the defense, have they exceeded your expectations coming into this this year? Yeah, they have. They have, actually. You know, I think they've done an excellent job from a turnovers perspective, minus the last two games where they haven't generated any. But, you know, you look at the win streak. They had the 16 win streak. They generate 11 turnovers. They're getting the sacks. Uh, the back end is marrying to the front end and vice versa. You know, you're, you're not seeing as many chunk plays being given up as they did earlier in the year. They've kind of leveled that off. So, absolutely, I think they're doing a lot better. Last year's team, you know, was a record setter on the negative side when it comes to red zone scoring, touchdown percentage allowed, also third down conversion uh, allowed. So it, these guys have definitely turned it around, and I, they have exceeded my expectations. So, I mean, one of the big football cliches you hear every year is the next man up. And there's been a lot of shine thrown the way the Baltimore Ravens, and deservedly so. But I don't know that the Titans are getting as much respect or credit for – I think they've used more players this year over, as an overall roster than any other team in the league. Teron, for you, who are the unsung players that are helping to hold this together? Yeah, and to your point, it's not just any other team in the league – it's any other team since it's been tracked. Ever. <laughs> They've rostered 86 different players on game day. They have 18 guys on injured reserve. They just pulled a couple off, so it's 16. But at one point, they had 18 guys. So that's just something to, to, to look at. And, yeah, I mean, I get it. The Ravens have done an excellent job, right, uh, despite the losses. But I would like to say a loss of Bud Dupree, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, I would think that those guys going on IR are more significant than any of the, the guys the Ravens lost. Maybe uh, Bobby Humphrey would be up there with them. So I'll say that. As far as the, the guys who have stepped up, that's a tough call. I'll say Elijah Molden, the rookie out of Washington, has stepped up. But there hasn't been just any individual guy. I mean, collectively, they, they've just all done really well. Uh, Tier Tart, when he was healthy, Oh, I got a guy for you. Of course, he was out the last couple of weeks, but David Long would probably be the one that I would point to that has elevated his game to where when he was healthy, he was playing as well as any other linebacker. He would be like the kind of unsung guy that stepped up because initially it was Jayon Brown and Rashawn Evans who were starting at inside, but uh, David Long you know, stepped up when Evans went down. Brown went down first, and then Evans did, and, and Long had just been a, a consistent playmaker. West Virginia product. 
That's uh, right. Did you expect that the offensive line would be better? Like it would be a more consistent unit? I mean, this year I've seen Taylor Luan struggle. I mean, he's been inconsistent. Do you think his best days are behind him? Yeah, I mean, early in the year he had struggles. Coming back from, you know, the, the torn ACL, the, the Chandler Jones game, right? That was that was the one where he really struggled. But if you look, he's actually gradually kind of ticked in the right direction. And I, I think, you know, you look at the last two games, especially this last game, he played really well. I don't think his best days are behind him. I think he's still very capable of playing. And for him, it was just a matter of getting more and more comfortable. I mean, this is a guy that, the Seattle game, he was out there warming up. He felt something, and he couldn't go. And then he missed the Rams game, you know. But when he's been healthy and out there, he's been pretty solid. I think the offensive line, um, they're right along the lines of what I expected them to do. I mean, you look at that Patriots game. They were moving people out of the way. They did an excellent job of that. So I, I think – you know, when you look at just overall, Ben Jones just managing to continue to piece himself together and go out there every snap, Roger Saffold and what he's doing. And Nate Davis has had concussion issues, but Aaron Brewer has filled in admirably. And then you got Old Faithful. You know, right tackle was the position that everybody was questioning, you know, because Dylan uh, Radence, you know, he was the draft pick in the second round. And they were like, okay, well, at some point he'll win the job. Well, David Quesenberry has been consistent at that position. And you don't really hear his name. And for offensive linemen, that's a good thing because it means he's doing his job. The 2019 draft class for the Titans was a really good one. I mean, John Robinson and that front office hit it out of the park with a few picks. But the last two drafts, the early returns, they don't look promising at this point. It's early to obviously say that, but it doesn't look promising. Do you think Robinson has misfired with those picks? And is he getting a free pass? Uh, he's definitely not getting a free pass. There's criticism that is dealt his way. Um, you know, the 2020 class, I, you know, I never liked the Isaiah Wilson pick. I, I thought that, you know, a guy like Lucas Niang was a better option. But he came back and redeemed himself with Christian Fulton. That was a really good pick. Darrington Evans, you know, consistently hurt. So that's been tough. But, I mean, how can you predict injuries? So I get that. I think if you look at this draft class, you know, Elijah Molden in the third round was solid. Monty Rice gave him solid snaps before he got, guess what, placed on IR. It's just been tough. You know, Caleb Farley placed on IR, your first-round pick. And uh, that was obviously a, a pick that they made that was going to be more future-geared. But, um, yeah, both of those classes, they definitely leave a lot to be desired. Dylan Radens, second-round pick, he hasn't really – smelled the field. You know, Des Fitzpatrick it was kind of come along, uh, but that was the guy they moved up to get. Was it worth moving up for in the fourth round to get? I don't know. I don't believe he still, you know, has a lot of progress. Rashad Weaver had a really good camp, and he was a guy that they were expecting a lot from, but, you know, he had the, uh, the fibula injury. And then uh, Racy McMath, he just came off of IR. So it, it's tough, man. You look at that draft class for this, this year, you got one, you got but Farley, um, Monty Rice, Weaver, I mean, so you got four guys who are, who went on IR. It's just hard to predict injury. I understand, like in Farley's case, the likelihood for injury would be a little bit higher just because of a little bit of the history there. But 
I mean, when you got four out of your, what, six picks, it, it's tough to really evaluate that class. I want to go back to injuries a little bit. You now, modern athletes and training, you've got, you know, guys that employ outside people to help them with health and training. You wrote a piece for ESPN.com recently about a gentleman in Tennessee, Adam Bobo and the Arete Wellness Center. What has he meant to this team? He has meant a lot to that team. Mainly what he does, it's the recovery side of things. Now, Derek Henry is probably the only guy on record that he's worked with that is on IR. And, hey, man, it's a fifth metatorsal fractured. Like, you're not going to prevent that. You know what I mean? But I will say they're doing everything they can collectively, you know, Arte as well as the Titans trainers to get him back. So we'll see what happens there. But really what he meant to the Titans, because he's worked with upwards of 20 of those guys, is just being able to come back and, and, and rush the passer as many times as necessary or being able to run the football as many times as necessary or able to fire off and block as many times as necessary and still be able to do it at a high percentage of your, you know, performance level. And I think that's the main thing, um, whether it be IVs. You know, he, Taylor Lewan, he and, and Lewan have, have connected really well, and Lewan is very, very cautious of what goes into his body after the PED situation he had when he had the peptides in the system. He's trusting of Adam Bobo and the crew there to make sure that he's getting what he needs, but it's all legal. You know, so you have that relationship there. You got Jeffrey Simmons, you know, as he continues to try to work back from, from the knee and, and uh, he's back from the knee, but every once in a while, like, you know, you get the swollenness, you get the uh, the soreness. So they do different things, whether it's the cryotherapy or the hyper, hyperbolic chamber, those different things. So from a recovery and an ability to just keep going at, at a high percentage side of things, Adam Bobo and the crew there at Arte have been huge for that. Well, I mean, you'd look back even back to Michael Jordan, you know, employing personal trainers, people outside of the organizations. I mean, they, the organization can only do so much. So that mm-hmm. almost has to marry itself. I mean, Brady with Guerrero and how, you know, that's a relationship that kind of has to work symbiotically because, you know, yeah. it can get a little strange where you've got, you know, the health staff of the team versus here's my personal guy. I'm paying him a million dollars a year just to keep me, you know, at my peak performance. What specifically did you learn the, I guess the most important thing that you learned in doing this piece? Really just how important it is to do the free things. And I love that Adam Bobo said that, you know, the free things. And you're like, okay, well, what the heck are you talking about? The free things. Hydrate yourself with drink water, eat well, and limit your alcohol intake, especially during the season. And you will be surprised at how many guys don't address those three free things. And a lot of times when you have a guy that's a little more susceptible to injury, it's because of those free things that are not being fulfilled. When I talked to Adam, he wasn't there to say, like, hey, man, you know, it's a bad thing if you drink alcohol. He wasn't saying that. But he was just saying you have to understand that there are things that come with that. Oh, and the other thing was get enough sleep. You want to get your full eight hours of sleep. And that was actually, along with drinking water, the most important thing he, he, he said to me. So, you know, getting those those free things um, and just the importance of it, you know, I've actually taken that and applied it to my life, you know, try to 
get my sleep schedule on, on course a lot better. Drinking more water. Uh, I don't drink too much alcohol anyway, so that's an easy thing. But hearing him uh, stress the importance of that and eating right, uh, that's something I try to do as well. And um, it's just those are the, are the, like, that's the foundation. No matter what you're doing as far as, uh, you know, what type of workout program or anything like that, you're not going to maximize it unless you're, you're building that foundation with those free things. Teron, do you believe that Derrick Henry will return for the playoffs? I do think that he will return for the playoffs. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, the guy's an alien, you know, and if anybody can work their way back from that situation, he can. And I think you look at Demarcus Lawrence, you know, nine weeks, he was able to return to the practice field. It's been five weeks now, you know, there's still time for him, especially if they get the bye week, that would be great for them. Uh, the bye week meaning the the first round playoff bye. So I, I think he does come back, and I, I know he's doing – some uh, extra things to, to be able to come back. Now this year, because the AFC is such, I don't know, a mosh pit at the top, the middle, the body, you know, whatever, Tennessee is still right, right there, even though, you know, they're coming you know, two game losing streak, the losing to Houston at home. You mentioned the game in new England, then they had a buy. So they've got to have a really terrible taste in their mouth right now. What do you expect from this team the rest of the way? Yeah, I expect them. So you look at this um, the schedule. It's not exactly a murderer's row, right? You got the Steelers, Dolphins, Jaguars, uh, Texans. These are games that you know, for the most part, are, are relatively um, winnable. I think that's a positive thing for them. And I expect them to be right there in the mix. And I expect them to get hot. And Mike Vrabel always says that you want to keep getting better gradually throughout the season and really peak entering the playoffs. So I, I expect them to be able to do that, especially with this rushing attack. And seeing how well that has gone, that gives them the ability to reestablish, you know, what it is that they like to do, run the football and play action off of it. So I'd imagine they'll be in the mix. Uh, I think they'll make a push for the top seed, and, and, you know, they'll definitely, in my opinion, win the AFC South, that's for sure. All right, very good, Teron. We always appreciate your time and especially the insight. Uh, I don't know if there's anybody better in the business, but uh, that's just my opinion. How do our how do our listeners catch up with you? And uh, if you wanted to plug anything, go ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, you you want to listen to podcasts? You can go to uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, any of those. You search "Talking with TD." That's a podcast that we do weekly. And then also on ESPN.com, that Titans page, every week uh, I do a whiteboard video just breaking down either something, a way the Titans could attack the opposing team or or something that the opposing team has done in the past that stood out to me. And I'll just diagram it. It's usually about a two-minute video. We call it Whiteboard Wednesdays or post, obviously, on Wednesdays. So check those out as well. All right, sir. Have a great holiday moving forward, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road for sure. Thanks for sure, man. Looking forward to seeing you guys. Let's say uh, January, late January, man. Senior Bowl. Let's go. Very good, man. All right. Thanks again to the great and very well-dressed Teron Davenport. And the bow tie is real, folks. Just look it up.
Okay, so the Dolphins, hot as hot can be. This is probably the least publicized you know, winning streak that we've had all season. Two a doubters. I don't know that you're ever going to please them, but he is playing efficient. Uh, he's getting his team in position. They're scoring touchdowns. They're winning games. What else do they need, Alex? What do the Tua haters need? I'm one of those Tua haters. <laughs> I mean, there's no question about it. That's I mean, what I've... makes these questions funny. So uh, hopefully everybody, you know, likes my humor. Well, I mean, Tua has been accurate. He's been efficient. Obviously, you know, the Dolphins were 1-7 and seven to start the season, and you were bringing up whispers that maybe Brian Flores is, you know, not the guy that we thought he was, and, you know, he might lose his job if they continue down this path. Well, the Dolphins have won five straight games. Tua is playing well since his return from injury. They pushed their record to 6-7. and seven. I mean, Tua had 21 completions. In the first half against the Giants. I get it that it's against the Giants and he's completing, you know, the passes two, three yards. But still, I mean, he is efficient. That's what he was at Alabama. My only concern with Tua is if he can stay healthy. Lou, he had injury concerns at Alabama and I just think he's a, a broken down quarterback. I cannot trust Tua for 17 games in the regular season because he's bound to miss three, four, five, six games. He's almost like Jimmy Garoppolo, in my opinion, but a lot younger. I don't trust him. So I still say it's been a nice story. The Dolphins are making a nice comeback here. They're in the playoff race, and if they were in the NFC, it would be fun. They would be a team that I wouldn't want to play. But they play in the AFC. It's a lot tougher to get to the playoffs there. Tua, a good quarterback, but I don't trust him as far as durability is concerned. So I still say the Dolphins should go after the big-name quarterbacks if they get the chance this offseason. Well, they already showed that they want to, and if the Deshaun Watson situation uh, clears itself up, there's certainly going to be major players in that. So who knows? You know what? What would Tua have to do to save his job? I don't know that he really can beyond what he's already doing. And at very least, this is a great audition for his next team. At very least. Or they just stick with them, and they, if the Deshaun Watson thing doesn't, you know, doesn't work out, then they may have to look elsewhere. You know, again, maybe Aaron Rodgers comes available, maybe Russell Wilson, but those are big ifs at this point. Uh, there's a lot of speculation, and we'll know a lot more, you know, once the offseason starts. But as far as two is concerned, I mean, he's, you know, this is who he is. This is what he was at Alabama, and now he's starting to find his way a little bit. With his ex-teammate, who quietly is having a huge year at wide receiver, none of the big explosive plays over the top, or very few, but, you know, as far as catches, as far as getting himself into the end zone, maybe not as regularly as Jamar Chase or as spectacularly uh, as Devontae Smith. But again, Devontae Smith's numbers have kind of fallen off. So Jalen Waddles really had a huge year. Again, quietly, much like the Dolphins, because they were left for dead. Yeah, it remains to be seen. You know, I like what two is doing, but uh, it just seems like that ownership is hell-bent on we need somebody else. And Maybe the coach survives it. I don't know. Because if they're that fickle about the quarterback, maybe they get a little weird about their coach. But he seems to be doing a good job, as they did last year, 
going down the stretch and kind of getting their 10 wins. So anyway, we talked a little bit in the previous show this week, show number one, if you would, or number 61 all time of pros like us about the Steelers. A little bit about Big Ben. Mentioned TJ Watt as far as his game against Baltimore. And again, when he's healthy, he's a problem. You know, three and a half sacks. He had the big play on Lamar in the game-winning two-point conversion, a try at least. The play was there. Andrews was open, but Watt kind of pressured uh, Lamar, got on the outside shoulder, made it difficult for him to make that throw, kind of had to throw it a little further outside than he wanted to. And ultimately, I think you know that's what saved the game because I think otherwise Andrews makes the catch and they win. And maybe we're having a different conversation, but not about T.J. Watt. He is the guy when he's healthy, when he's on the field. Defensive player of the year. I know I, I kept talking about Judon, and he's a guy that I think I still would put up there as, as well as uh, the Patriots' defense is playing. Now, he's not, I guess, quite as flashy or spectacular in terms of plays as TJ is. Yeah, maybe maybe he wins it, but God, he is a problem when he's on the field. TJ Watt has 16 sacks on the year. How many did he miss? He missed a few. I know that, but when he's in the game, I mean, he's getting like, you know, two or three sacks a game. I want to pose this question to you. J.J. Watt has been a great player. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame one day. Obviously, his career is kind of winding down, and he's out right now with an injury, with a season-ending injury. Is T.J. Watt a better player if he stays healthy? You know, that's a good one uh, and a tough one because they don't necessarily play the same position, but they impact the game in their own way. I mean, J.J. was, you know, they they could put him outside, inside, rusher. He was equally, you know, good at rushing the passers. He was stopping the run. And in that time frame where he was healthy... He may have been more dominant than Aaron Donald has been over his career. Now, again, I'm not saying Aaron Donald's a bad player or what. I mean, they're like up there. They're like right next to each other as far as dominating the league. So TJ's got a ways to go. But again, it depends for both of them. It's the health. They both have the relentless pursuit of the ball. You, that That is where, where the similarities are is that as talented as they are, as technically sound as they are, they marry that with the relentless pursuit of whether it's the quarterback, the ball carrier, wherever the ball is, they happen to be. So that's what makes them both really special. I guess it would depend on TJ and being healthy for a longer stretch than JJ. But I think that would be the only difference is if he could do it for a longer stretch. But for that time frame when JJ was healthy, there was nobody that was more dominant than him. And I think that if you look at just those small time frames, I don't know that TJ could quite get to that level. I'm going to say TJ is going to be a better player because he already has 65 and a half sacks. We like to look at sacks and stats. The last four seasons, he's been in the league for five seasons. The last four seasons, he's recorded double digit in sacks. He hasn't had less than 13 sacks in a season since 2018. So that's a huge number. I mean, this year, with an extra game, Lou, he might get over 20 sacks the way it's going right now, considering that 
there's still a ways to go. We've got what? 14th week, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th. So we've got about five games left, right, for the Steelers out there. He might break like the Michael Strahan record. You you never know. I'm just putting it out there. I just think TJ, he's got youth. If he stays healthy and knowing that he plays for the Steelers, who love those outside linebackers, those three, four guys, and they've had so many of them through the years. They just design plays for them. They stunt. They do everything in their power to showcase these guys and make them even better than what they actually are. And TJ's already great, but the Steelers do a great job scheming for him. I think the sky is the limit for this kid. Once again, if he stays healthy, this guy is going to dominate for the next, like, five, six years. Well, yeah, that's the big if, is the is the health. And then the, the Steelers, um, you know, obviously they've already locked him up with a big contract, so he's going to be there. You hope they can kind of get the ship righted and, and get themselves back in contention because that might be a strike against him. You know, any sort of player of the year, defensive player of the year conversation is if they're not that good. Maybe he can overshadow that maybe the team's not performing that well. But, yeah, he's just a great player, and we're splitting hairs here, so don't get crazy listeners with, oh, he likes him better than him. I mean, it would be ultimately very close. Uh, I just have never seen just a stretch when J.J. was dominating, was Defensive Player of the Year so many times. That was even more of a problem because of where he played. And Lions win! Lions win the last play of the game. I think Minnesota kind of helped them out with the defense they played. I don't know that you could have been an easier red zone touchdown pass than what Minnesota gave up on the last play of the game to the Lions. I don't see it. Nothing against Amon Ross St. Brown. Great move. Great catch. Jared Goff throws it on time. Everything was great about their execution. I just have to question what the hell Minnesota was doing on that last play. But yes, Lions win. Cameron Danzler was the cornerback that was guarding against, uh, that was going up against Amon Ross St. Brown. Well, he like hesitated. He like froze for a second. And that gave enough time from Amon Ra to make that move and make the catch. Yeah, the defense was horrible. And the execution was even worse by the cornerback that maybe didn't feel like it was going to go his way. But why wouldn't you? It's the last play of the game. He looked like he was defending like a a third and 12 play in the middle of the first quarter. Well, Amon Ra caught like two or three passes during that last drive. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He had a great game. Great game. In that regard, you knew that the guy was hot. So they were going to go to him and, and Goff. I mean, he almost threw for 300 yards three touchdowns again it looked like it was going to be a big letdown for the Lions again and they've let so many of these games slip away and I just I felt so bad for them I'm like is this happening again and then all of a sudden you know they get that first win in the last 364 days they haven't had a win in 364 days almost a year since that last win on the last snap of the game dramatic fashion And then the coach, I mean, he made a good speech in the press conference out there. I want to play for Dan Campbell, Lou. I just don't want to play for him. If I can suit up for the Lions, I'll do it, like tomorrow. I want to play for this team. I want to be inspired by some head coaches that can inspire me. Dan Campbell would inspire me 
in the weight room. He will inspire me on the practice field. He will inspire me in those meetings. That's the coach I want to play for. I mean, he looks like a college coach. But, you know, I hope he has success, and I hope they do turn it around with the Lions in the next couple of years. He kind of reminds me of, like, maybe uh, Bill Cower, but even, if it's possible, even just a little bit more intense. Campbell played a little bit more in the league where Cower was kind of a special teams player when he was able to play. But Campbell played tight end, big, tough guy, more of a blocker than a receiver, and just, yeah, everything he says is a guy that is going to inspire. I think the question is managing the game, you know, starting learning to manage the game a little bit better. There have been some gaffes as far as the use of timeouts, non-use of timeouts, but you've got veteran coaches that screw that up too. So it just seems like a guy that you you just want to hang around with, want to sit down and have a beer with, and you'd want to run through a wall for, and you saw those players' reaction after the game. They didn't care, I don't know, that for themselves, they were just running over their coach, and Jared Goff was the first one over there, so that was really neat to see. All right, we've got some picks. Two and two, we kind of cooled down a little bit. My affinity for the Bengals and the Niners just keeps shining through, and I just can't seem to get a pulse on either of these teams, on them or against them. The Bengals, it, it looked like they were the team from the West Coast that, that came out, and, and the Chargers were the team at home because they came out like a ball of fires, 24 nothing before you can even blink. Next thing you know, it's 24-22, and Cincinnati's driving, and Mixon coughs it up. Yeah, they they return it for a touchdown, and that was pretty much it. The game ended 41-22. San Francisco, Seattle, I don't know how to explain it. Seattle can't score points, and all of a sudden they're lighting it up. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'll leave that to you to explain that, Alex, the, the Niners. The Rams, you know, got their game. This was a game they were supposed to have a blowout. Uh, it wasn't one where they were going to get caught looking ahead to Arizona because of so, how poorly they've played offensively and just losing games so they had to come out with some intensity and it looked like they kind of did I mean it was 37 to 7 not sure what's going on with Urban Meyer and and that that crew but uh we'll see what happens this week with them and then the Patriots last night again you know going back to a show number one this week they threw three passes in an NFL game three and the quarterback's really good uh but Belichick you know he saw the conditions it was windy Hell, even after that first touchdown, he didn't even want to take a chance on kicking an extra point. They went for two and they got it, uh, which ends up, I think, at some point making a difference in the game because of the way Buffalo uh, had to play at the end. So situationally, they got it done. And this is who they are. This is who we expected. Buffalo had every opportunity. They had two red zone chances in the fourth quarter and zero points. So... This is the Patriots. This is how they play. Sure, you know, are they beatable? Somebody with more talent is going to come out offensively and and score a bunch of points? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Give it a go. I I hope it happens, but we haven't seen it yet this year. Anyway, 2 and 2, 26 and 23 overall. Alex, I don't recall again. I want you to kind of uh, flex your muscles here. Who'd you have? I had two locks of the week. I had the Lions. They covered, they won the game. That was a great call. And yeah. then the second one was the Bills against the Patriots, Lou. I lost that one, obviously. Today's lock of the week comes from the Dallas Cowboys. 
I think the, you know, the Cowboys come into this game with some extended rest after playing on Thursday night, while Washington had to fly to Las Vegas to take on the Raiders. Dallas has played really well on the road. They're 5-1 and one over the last, you know, six road games. Washington has struggled against NFC East teams, just period. In the last, like, 17 division games, Washington is 5-12. and 12. I'm rolling with Dak to cover against Washington. They're minus 5. Definitely Dallas is my lock of the week, even on the road at Washington. Where is the love for the football team, Alex? They just keep getting it done. And I'm not going to give any explanation here other than they're a home underdog. It's within the division. All that stuff you said, I'm throwing out. I'm going with Heineke here, plus four or five. I'm not sure what it was, but let's go with that. Uh, One game that I think I flip-flopped on, and I'm nuts, and maybe this is just an AFC West thing, but I think the Lions' high is going to, it might actually hurt them here. I don't know. I'm kind of hoping that, but as bad as Denver looked against Kansas City offensively, and I guess as well as Detroit played, especially down the stretch against Minnesota, both teams are going to kind of go back to what they were built to do in Denver at home. Strong defense, running the ball. I think they're going to cover the eight. Tennessee, we had Tron Davenport on this episode, and, and he convinced me. I was, I, I was thinking maybe Jacksonville, and then I kind of thought, yeah, it's Jacksonville. So I'm going to take Tennessee minus nine and a half. And then finally, on I believe it's Monday night, another great Monday night game, Arizona minus three against the Rams playing in Arizona. I'm going to stick with the Cardinals until somebody can beat them. I'm just going to ride it. They're playing you know, great football. I think Teron mentioned them as well with James Conner, giving them kind of a, a, a tougher uh, mentality on offense. And I'm going to go with Kyler. I mean, it looks too easy, and it maybe it is, and maybe this is where the Rams jump up and, and bite us in the butt, but I'm going to take Arizona. So you got Arizona as a favorite, Tennessee as a favorite, Denver as a favorite, but the Washington football team and the fighting Taylor Heineke's plus five or four, whatever you can get, just take the points, go to bed early, take the money and run, whatever other cliche comes in here, but that's what I'm going with. When is Washington going to get a nickname? What is this? I mean, I'm sick and tired of calling them the Washington football team. I mean, that's just, that's ridiculous. I mean, Daniel Snyder, get with the program. Let's do it. I mean, let's get a nickname. According to the league, his wife is running the team, so... All right, it's time to get a nickname. <laughs> Mrs. Yeah, it's going to be even more ridiculous when they announce that the nickname is the football team. So <laughs> that will make it ultimately ridiculous. So those are the picks. Thanks again to Teron Davenport. Like I said, that bow tie has no uh, no alternative. You can't you can't beat the bow tie. So please subscribe if you haven't already. This is show number two of the week. Don't forget, if you're listening to this one, look for show number one, which is number 61 all time. This is number 62. So for Alex, I'm Lou. Peace.